Are you ready for the next thing that God wants to do in your life? Are you ready for the next thing that God wants to do in your life? If you and I decide that we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to walk with Him and we're walking in obedience to Him, He is orchestrating the events and the circumstances of our lives for what He wants to do next in our lives. He's putting it together. We may not recognize it. It may seem strange and confusing to us. But He is orchestrating those events in our lives and He wants us to be ready that when the time comes to move, to recognize, to discern His work and then to be ready to move with God and what He's doing. He's moving His kingdom forward. He wants to move us forward with His kingdom. We've been following for a number of weeks from the book of Genesis, the life of Joseph. And even though Joseph, at times, I'm sure, was extremely hard to see it, God was orchestrating the events of his life. When he was beat up by his brothers, God was orchestrating his life, putting it together. When he was sold into slavery and headed to Egypt, God was at work putting those events together. When he got to Egypt and he was sold to Potiphar, the captain of the guard to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, God was putting it together. When he was lied on by Potiphar's wife and then subsequently thrown into prison, God was orchestrating the events of his life. And then, as we saw last week, when he interpreted the dreams to the chief cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh, God again was putting his life together and orchestrating those events. Was it confusing? Of course it is. God's will, this side of heaven and to us, so often is confusing. But God was putting it together, and his job was to trust the Lord and to be obedient And then watch God put it together and move with the Lord in what he was doing. And Joseph was ready for what we're going to see God do today. And by following Joseph's example, we will be ready when God says, this is what I'm doing. It's time to join me in it. Turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. As we join the story here, Joseph is 30 years old. Almost half of his life has been lived in Egypt. All of his adult life pretty much has been lived in Egypt. Now, you will meet here quickly on Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt. At that time, the pharaohs were considered gods. And so the fact that Pharaoh in this story is having a difficult time interpreting a dream would have been sort of strange because it was believed the gods communicated to human beings through dreams. And so if Pharaoh is having a dream and he's a god, he ought to be able to handle the interpretation without any problem. But he doesn't. When Joseph is brought up before Pharaoh, it says that he is shaved. And then later Pharaoh gives him a new name. He is dressed in Egyptian clothes. In other words, to be more acceptable to the Egyptians. He will be given a wife in the story who is part of one of the most powerful families in Egypt. He will be given a ring with the name of Pharaoh, which would have given him tremendous authority to act on behalf of Pharaoh. So Genesis chapter 41, beginning with verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile River. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, 
came up out of the Nile after them, stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plum, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. And Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and ugly and thin, such as I've never seen in all the land of Egypt. The thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one could have known that they had eaten them, for they were all still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed it to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. The doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, and let him over. And set him over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh proceeded to appoint overseers over the land. And take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming. And store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh. For food in the cities and let them keep it. That food will be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt. So that the land may not perish through the famine. 
This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaranath Penel, and gave him in marriage Azarnath, the daughter of Potphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. As the daughter of Pharaoh, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasiah, for he said... God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Sermon outline is containing your bulletin. I invite you, if you would, to follow along with me. Waiting with God makes us ready. Waiting with God makes us ready for what God's got in store for us. This chapter opens up with the statement, after two whole years, after two whole years, Joseph interprets the dreams for the cupbearer and for the baker. They are fulfilled, but still he waits two whole years for something to happen. What would have gone through his mind as he sits in the jail for two years? Has God forgotten me? Is God at work? But God often does His work in silence. God often does His work in silence. And while we are waiting in the silence, it doesn't mean that God isn't at work. In fact, silence is often an indication that God is tremendously at work. Now, what do we do while we wait? What do we do while God seems to be silent? Number one, enjoy the presence of the Lord. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46.10 God is going to bring some seasons of silence to our lives. Some seasons when there seems to be no activity on His part going on. And what do we do in those seasons of silence? What do we do in those seasons of non-activity? We learn to enjoy the presence of the Lord. 
So often we get so caught up in trying to discover the activity of the Lord that we forget about the presence of the Lord. God wants us to enjoy His presence. He wants us to be still in life and know that means experience that He is God, that He is the strong one, the majestic one, the powerful one. So the first thing to do when God is silent is just enjoy and learn to enjoy the presence of the Lord. Secondly, allow Him, invite Him to mature us. The Bible says in Isaiah 40, 31, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Maturing is difficult, it takes time, and there are no shortcuts. Maturity is difficult, it takes time, and there are no shortcuts. I would love to tell you there is an easy, non-painful way to mature. But life will teach you, God will teach us that maturity is difficult. It takes a long time. No shortcuts to it. And so when I go through those times of silence, what I need to do is instead of crying out to the Lord and saying, God, change everything, instead say, Lord, mature me, grow me, develop me, shape me into what you want me to be. Third thing to do during the times of silence is learn to discern. Learn to discern. God, what are you doing? What are you doing in this time of quiet and silence? How are you preparing me for what is ahead? God, I need to discern. Would you teach me how to discern what you're doing in my life? Now, when God is ready, we got to be ready. When God's ready to move us out, we got to be ready to move out. Notice what happens in the story. Pharaoh has these two dreams back to back. Now, the ancients believed that the gods communicated through dreams. And if you had two dreams under the same subject, you were really going to see something happen. And so God gives him two dreams. So he calls for his magicians to come and interpret the dream. And there were guiles of magicians in Egypt at that time. And one of their chief responsibilities was interpreting dreams and telling the future. And these magicians that he calls would have been the top ones in the land because they were serving Pharaoh. And so he calls them all in and he explains his dream and they can't give him an answer. And so Pharaoh just gets really perplexed. What are the gods trying to tell me? What is going to happen? God knows how to get people's attention. The Lord knows how to create questions that only He can answer. Look at the story. Pharaoh is the king, the ruler, not only of Egypt, but in that time, because Egypt was the most powerful kingdom on the face of the earth, he was the ruler of the most powerful kingdom on the earth. He was the most powerful ruler there, and he can't get an answer. This is a man who's got all kinds of gods already, and is considered a god, and is worshipped a god. And he would have, prior to that night, not have any time or use for Joseph's God. And in one night, with two dreams that he can't get answers to, he is desperate for an answer. He is desperate for an answer from a God he doesn't even know or recognize, but is ready to listen to. And folks, people can go through life and say, I don't need God and I don't have time for God. But God can create a question in our lives that only He can answer and He can get our attention just like that. 
And we as the people of God have to be ready with a message from God when that hour comes. And Joseph was ready. Now in this dream, the central feature of it is the Nile River. That would have gotten his attention because the Nile River was the central aspect of Egypt. All the Egyptian agriculture centered around the Nile. And notice verse 16. Joseph stands there. He has been ushered in before Pharaoh. He stands there in front of the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in Egypt, and at that time on the face of the earth. And notice what Joseph says to him in verse 16. He looks at him and he says, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. So he's taken the attention off of himself. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And when Pharaoh, excuse me, when Joseph stands up there in front of Pharaoh, he looks at Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, I don't have the answer, but I'll tell you who does have the answer. And it's God. Now, he uses the Hebrew name for God here, Elohim, which means the strong one, the powerful one, the majestic one. Now, we say, well, big deal. What's that about? Joseph is really being gutsy here. Because when he stands before Pharaoh and he says, Elohim has the answer. He's saying, Pharaoh, you're the king of Egypt. But there's one that's more powerful than you are. There is one more majestic than you are. And I'm about to give you his answer. But I want you to understand something, Pharaoh. You're not who you think you are. You're not as great in power and majestic as you want to think you are. I'm about to give you a message from someone who is more powerful than you are. And folks, when we bring the message of God and the Word of God to people's lives, even to ourselves and to the world that is around us and to our communities, we have to be willing to say we serve the Lord God Almighty. And He is greater and more powerful and more majestic than anything else and anyone else that's out there. And it's fascinating what Joseph says to him. He says... God, Elohim, is going to give you a favorable answer. The word favorable there is the Hebrew word shalom. It means peace and wholeness. God is going to give you peace and he's going to give you wholeness. As Joseph stood there and he looked into Pharaoh's face, he did not see the look of a confident ruling king. He saw anxiety. He saw fear. And he said, Pharaoh, God's going to give you the one thing that you don't have right now. The one thing that your magicians can't get for you. The one thing your money and your power and your greatness cannot give you. He's going to give you peace. He's going to give you wholeness. And folks, we serve the Lord Jesus who is the Prince of Peace. And the one thing this world cannot do for itself is give itself peace. The one thing that we can't do for ourselves is give ourselves peace. Only Jesus can give peace, a wholeness. And we have to receive that from Him and walk in that in Him. But even more following from that... We have to take that peace to the world in which we live today. As his church, as his followers, we have to be instruments of his peace. 
And all you have to do is look at the, a few news apps on your phone, some days just one, or turn on your television or listen to the radio, and we live in a society and culture today that is anything but at peace. And what is our response to that? It is not to create more unrest. It is not to get on social media and stir stuff up. It is rather as his followers to be reflective of his peace and sharing his peace and wholeness and working for his peace and wholeness and stepping like Joseph into a situation and being the peace of God and speaking the peace of God into the situation. Joseph had peace because he had confidence, not in himself, but he had confidence in God. I love what he does here. Verses 25 and 28, he gives glory to God. And then he says, God is going to show up shortly, and he's going to do this. In other words, Pharaoh, this isn't something way down the road. God's getting ready to move. God's getting ready to act. God is going to do it in the present. He's going to do it in the next minute. Joseph was what I like to say. He was online, and he was on time. Joseph very much knew this is where God is in this moment. This is what God is getting ready to do. And Pharaoh, you got to get with what God is getting ready to do. Now, how in the world can we know that? Joseph had that confidence. He was with God in the minute for this reason. Because he'd been in the pit with God. He had found God in the pit. And there in that pit... In that tough situation, he had worked out a relationship with the Lord so that he discerned where God was in the moment, what God's message was in the moment, and what God was doing, and he could call Pharaoh to the minute of what God was doing. And folks, when God takes us to the pit, it's because he's getting us ready so that he can say, this is the message I want you to bring, this is who I want you to be, and this is what I'm doing in the minute. But we learn in the pit what God is doing So we can be ready in the minute to join God in what he's doing. Notice verse 38, how Pharaoh recognizes Joseph. He said, here is a guy who has the spirit of God in him. In other words, he's got the character of God, a walk with God, the word of God, the plan of God. And because of that, he's not missing his hour, he's not missing his call, and he's not missing his purpose. So many folks miss The minute God's got for them, the hour God's got for them, the plan God's got for them, the purpose God's got for them. Because they don't spend time with Him in the pit. So they're ready for the minute and the hour when it comes. Don't miss God's work and place for your life. Because we're not ready when that moment comes. Joseph discerned the voice of God in this situation. Please hear me on this and write this down. It's more important to hear from God than it is to talk to God. It is more important to hear from God than it is to talk to God. All of us struggle with prayer. What do I say? How do I say it? How do I talk to God? But folks, the most important thing for us is not what do I say to God, is what is God saying to me? If you will take the time to hear from the Lord, you won't have any problem 
talking back to the Lord. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about this way. When my son was a little boy, I wanted to hear him say dad or daddy so bad. So what did I do? I said daddy a whole lot around him. In fact, I told him at one point if he would say daddy before he said mama, that he would get a car when he turned 16 years of age. I didn't tell him whether it would be a matchbox or not. I just told him he'd get a car when he turned 16 years of age. I didn't put a qualifier on it. But I wanted to hear the word daddy so bad that I would just say to him all the time, daddy, 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 and I'd hold him in front of him, daddy, daddy, daddy. And the first time he said that, just, you know, so as a little kid, young child just uttered those words. I mean, I was so excited and so thrilled. And from that point on, even today, 26 years later, I pick up the phone. Hey, Dad. It goes through me. Now, how did Jonathan learn how to say Daddy and who to say Daddy to? It wasn't because he was running his mouth. It's because he was listening. He learned to say the right thing and to get my attention and to draw and build our relationship because he was listening. And the reason so often, folks, we don't know what to say to God is because we run in our mouths all the time and we don't listen. If we would just be quiet in the presence of God, God would say, hey, I want to speak to you. I want to talk to you. I want to communicate to you. And then you can start talking. But you're going to know what to say and how to say it then. And you know, when my son said daddy to me, he didn't have to go into great, big, long dissertations about what he wanted and what he needed. He said daddy, and he got my attention. And so many of us get so defeated in prayer because we got to think we got to say all these right big things to God. And if we just say daddy and know how to say daddy to him, we got his attention. That's what he's longing to hear is the relationship. Learning to listen to God. Is far more important speaking to him. And if we listen to him, we'll know what to say to him. And in that pit, sitting in that pit with the beard growing and smelling bad and thinking God had forgotten about him, Joseph learned to listen to God. And he was ready that when Pharaoh started spilling out all that stuff, can you imagine standing there in front of Pharaoh And Pharaoh starts looking at you and he's saying, I had this dream and I was down at the Nile River and these cows come up and some of them look great and some of them look terrible and they're eating each other. And then he says, and I dreamed again and these corn ears came up. If I had been Joseph, I had been standing and thinking, good Lord, what's this guy been smoking? He'd have gotten a hold of some kind of reeds down at the Nile and had him a a reefer or two apparently. And what in the world's going on here? I say, Pharaoh, I think you got some big issues. They're worse than your dreams. I mean, that's what you'd be tempted to think. But Joseph is standing there, and as he's listening to all of this, he looks back at Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, God's going to put you at peace. And let me tell you how God's going to put you at peace. And then he begins to interpret the dream. He's got the word from God in the midst of the situation. Why? Because he had been with God. If you will be with God first, God will give you a word. He will give you confidence, and he will give you peace. 
He'll give you a word, he'll give you confidence, and he will give you peace. Look at verse 51. He's got two sons. Notice how he names them. Oh, don't miss this. Verse 51. Joseph called the name of his first son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. I love that. God has made me forget all my hardship. I'm not sitting here licking my wounds. I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm not having a pity party. God has made me forget all of my hardship. Folks, God wants to take you to the place where you forget the hardships. You were living in the glory of God, in the blessing of God, in the presence of God, in the moment God's got for you, and you are not living in the hardship. But he doesn't stop there. He has a second son. Called him Ephraim. And oh, I love this one. Boy, you can live in this. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. You hear what Joseph is saying here? He didn't have to take me back to Israel to make me fruitful. He didn't have to take me back home in order for me to be fruitful. Right here in this place of the affliction of my life, God has made me fruitful. And folks, so many of us get caught up in life that we think if I could just go back to yesterday, if I could just get to this place, I would be fruitful. If I could just get out of this tight place, if I could just get out of what I'm going through, if I could just get over this, if I could just get over that, I could be fruitful. And we're constantly yelling out to God, remove the affliction, remove the affliction. And God doesn't remove the affliction. Why? Because God's trying to show you that He is as powerful in the place of the affliction as He is anywhere else. That he can accomplish his will. That whatever is afflicting your life is not greater than God, more powerful than God, and can stop God or hinder the Lord from what he wants to accomplish in and through your life. Wherever that place of affliction is, wherever that place of struggle is, wherever that place seemingly of defeat is, wherever that place is you want to give out and give out, give in and give out, it is that place that God says, I can make you fruitful there. Why? Because as Paul said, greater is he who is within us than he who is within the world. So are you ready to go with God and are you ready to move with God in what he wants to do in your life? Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you this morning for Jesus. We want to thank you for being present with us. And Jesus, we want to thank you that wherever that place of affliction is, you can make us fruitful there, Lord. God, you can prosper us, you can use us, you can accomplish your will through us, Lord. That, Father, we don't have to sit there and wreathe in pain, feel sorry for ourselves, whatever. We can move in what you've got because you are faithful to do that. And you will do that if we'll trust you and walk with you. Lord, we want to be ready for the moment that you've got for us, for the hour that you've got for us. We want to be ready for it, Lord. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, you need to find him with where you are in your life right now and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. And Jesus, I want to belong to you. Sick of belonging to sin, sick of belonging to guilt, tired of belonging to shame, and tired of belonging to whatever it is, Lord. I want to belong to you. As we sing, I want to invite you just to say to him, Jesus, I want to belong to you. Come into my life. Change me. Take away the sin. Make me yours, Jesus.
you're here and you feel like God's calling you to be part of our church family, leading you in that direction, we invite you to come and join here with us. If there's any other public decision you need to make, we invite you to make it. But the all-important decision is to say, Jesus, I want to know you, I want to serve you, and I want to walk with you. Please, say that to him. Come, follow him today. Lord, have you way with us in these moments of invitation as we respond to you, Lord. As we sing in just a moment, I invite you to come and make those decisions. I'd love to meet you at the front here and pray with you. Let's stand together and sing. Come if you will.